Welcome to another episode of the Eric Crocker Show. Let's go. I'm excited to talk some 49er football with y'all today. And I actually have a special guest coming on. I'm always excited to have him come on and chop it up and give his expertise on the San Francisco 49ers. We're going to be talking about Brock Purdy's injury. He's talking about potentially being out for a long time. I, I don't see that happening, but hypothetically speaking, if it does happen, what does that mean, especially if Trey Lance plays well? We'll discuss that. And also draft crush, draft talk, all that and more with a special guest this morning. So first and foremost, man, I want to, you know, ask everybody how they're doing on this beautiful morning. Uh, one thing we haven't done in a while is we haven't checked on y'all mental state of mind. All right. So I see the flames going up. I see Bree Marie in the chat. I see Raphael in the chat. I see the flames coming in. Uh, my apologies, y'all. I haven't checked on y'all in a while, man. Look, I'm a little rusty with this. I was out for a long time, but we are back. Uh, I hope everybody's doing well. Just go through some, you know, simple things real quick. Of course, uh, underdog fantasy, promo code Crocky. All right. If you're into higher, lower, you know, is, you know, in the next game, the Warriors are going to be at home. Uh, they're going to go crazy. Steph Curry going to score over 30 points. You think he is, you know, add him to that. Do you think that uh, Fox is going to go crazy. Add him to that. Parlay it. Put it all together. Make you some money. All right. So uh, Underdog Fantasy, go to the website, underdogfantasy.com, or download the app, Underdog Fantasy, and use promo code Crocky. All right. Uh, I, I, I think I kind of have to talk my talk. You, you see that, you know, the Laker stuff behind me. You see what's going on. All right. But before I really kind of get into, like, why am I on the Warriors so hard? Why am I riding the, the Warriors? Uh, we're going to discuss that real quick. And I, I, I have to discuss between that and, of course, 49 stuff with my guy, Jason Aponte. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm great, Crock. It's good to see you, man. It, uh, I like the new setup with the with the music in the background and everything. Like, really, like, leveling <laughs> up with this. I, I really, I'm really enjoying that. I've had this, uh, the the mix the mixer thing for a while, but I just never mm. really, I just never used it. So I've had it for a while and now I'm like, all right, man, it's time. It's time to uh, start to kind of, you know, add the effects and all that good stuff to the show. Add a little <laughs> nice little production to it. You put the gunshots like Joe Budden? Uh, so I've been trying to get the gunshots, but it's a little <laughs> more difficult. Like I got to find yeah. the right sound and, and all mm -hmm. that. I'm going to get to the gunshots, but real quick, I did want to, because I know I have a lot of Warrior fans, you know, that follow me. Listen, guys. The only reason why I troll the way I do, and, and those of you who are on here, you probably don't know much about it, but on social media, I'm I'm notorious right now for trolling Warrior fans. I'm probably the biggest Warrior hater on Twitter. And the crazy thing is, y'all started this. I promise, y'all started this. I never hated the Warriors. I got a picture of me in college with a Warrior beanie on. Like, I've always been a Laker fan, but man, Warriors, they represent California. Like, you know, I lived in San Jose. I'm right there in the Bay Area. You know, um, shoot, I'm from Stockton. That ain't far from... Oakland, what, 45 minutes, an, an hour maybe? So, like, I've always showed love. And when they were going head up against the Cavs, like, I was always going for the Warriors. Like, hey, Warriors, hold it down. So, I've always really, like, you know, I, I like the Warriors. Like, I'm a Laker fan, but it's like, I got no beef with the Warriors. Until last year in the playoffs. And I just was tweeting out an observation, as I always do. It could be the 49ers. It could be the Boston Celtics. It could be the whoever, right? But, you know, you just, you're watching the game, and you tweet an observation. So I'm watching the Warriors, and I see Curry shoot a three, and he kind of, like, tries to sell the, 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 the foul call, right? And they're like, oh, Jason Tatum pulled him, pushed him down. I'm like, no, he didn't. Like, Curry's just trying to sell the, the three, 
which is cool. Like, that's basketball. Everybody tries to sell it. But when you don't get it, like, bro, I'm not going to complain. Like, you didn't get the call. The Warrior fans came at me. You're a hater because you're a Laker fan. You're this and that, blah, 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 blah. And ever since then, it's been beef. Ever since then. And I, I can be very petty. So, and you better hope you win. Like, last year, I was petty. They won. All right, I can't say nothing. This year, I'm going to be petty. And if they continue to lose, like, I'm going to be petty until they're out of the playoffs. So, it kind of is what it is. Warrior fans, y'all started. There was no love, uh, no disrespect or anything prior to the last playoffs, but now I'm turned up, and I am a trash talker naturally. I play cornerback. So. Uh, but anyway, we didn't come on here to talk about my beef with Warriors uh, fans or anything like that. I actually really, like, secretly appreciate the Warriors and everything that they do, but I can't really say that on Twitter because I've already had this kind of personality as the villain. So um, it, it kind of is what it is. But anyways, I got Jason Apati on here, man. Let me put the name up here. Uh, Apati, how, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great, man. Uh, dropped off Averly at school. Uh, we went to Disneyland uh, for her birthday um, last month. Um, she just turned six. Uh, everything's going good, man. You know, uh, I like when you do the mental health check because sometimes when things aren't going well, you just think that things are never going to get better. Um, that's why I always tell people that when things are going well to make sure that you, you know, cherish it. And I got to say, everything's going very well right now with me and uh, my family and my daughter. Oh, that's awesome, man. And, and that's great to hear. Sounds like everybody's doing well there. I, I looked in the chat. It looks like everybody's doing well. If anybody is not doing well, man, y'all know where to find me, at Eric underscore Crocker on Twitter. Uh, shoot me a DM. Croc, I'm not doing well. I just need somebody to talk to. I'll shoot you my number, man. We'll talk about it, all right? Just like we finna talk about Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy comes out and just mentions that there's a scenario where he misses an entire season. I think that's BS. Uh, I don't see that happening at all. I think if you ask me right now, I'd say it's about 60, 40 chance. He's actually the week one starter. Like that's just how I feel. And like 40% chance they want to take it slow and start him off on the pup list or whatever. But uh, an entire year, I just don't foresee that happening unless there's just this drastic setback. But he kind of threw it out there. You see 49ers social media uh, accounts going crazy. I see DSF 49ers with my guy Brad. You see Raj. You see all these guys. And they're they're talking about They're posting. I see the comments. Everybody's kind of going crazy. But I'm here to say I think everything's going to be fine. What were your initial thoughts when you heard Brock Purdy say this? You know me, Croc. I'm always level-headed. You know me. I'm not going to yell. I don't ever have strong takes or anything like that. So I took this and I just, I read the entire article. And I think the first thing was it was sloppily put together in terms of the way the, the quote itself was presented. It, it made it feel like he was throwing that out there out of nowhere. But for me, because I had to write about it on Niners Nation, for me, I just felt that Brock Purdy was speaking matter-of-factly. I think everybody has optimism around the timeline of him coming back. Optimism is one thing. Optimism is not the same as certainty. And there are no certainties in returning from any sort of injury. There can be setbacks. And just because there is good precedent with other quarterbacks not having any setbacks doesn't mean that things are going to go well. If there were, if we were living in a perfect world, then Brock Purdy would have never torn his UCL to begin with. Unfortunately, we don't. So I think what Brock Purdy was saying was, I don't know if I'm going to play, but he wasn't saying like, I am scared. I'm not going to play. I think everything and anything is still on the table, but I don't, I don't suspect anything's wrong. This, this one feels like a real big, 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 huge nothing burger for me. Croc. Yeah. And, and to me, and the way I explained it on locked on 49ers, make sure y'all tune in locked on 49ers five days a week, myself, Brian Peacock. Uh, but the way I de described it on there was it kind of, 
a lot of times it's what they hear from the doctor, right? So Kyle Shanahan, people view him as, oh, you can't really take what he says serious in press conferences. I take it very serious because I think Kyle Shanahan a lot of times speaks more matter of fact than most coaches, right? Like very honest between Kyle, between John Lynch, they speak in this way of like, this is the truth, sometimes too truthful. And especially with Kyle, when he doesn't want to tell you something, he doesn't quite lie about it. He just says like a, a BS answer or like an, he, he been a-hole, like the whole, uh, well, we don't even know if we're going to be alive on Sunday, right? Like he'll give you that type of response before he gives you just blatant false, uh, a blatant false comment. Now, something that he says on Monday or Tuesday as it pertains to an injury can change by Thursday. Again, a lot of the information, the way that this is passed down to coaches, right? The coaches ask the trainers or the doctors, hey, what's going on with such and such? The trainers and doctors give him the report or it's a printout. He reads it. Okay, this is what's going on with him. And then that's what he talks, says to the media when they ask about it. Now, that can change. So that doesn't mean that he lied on Monday or Tuesday. That just means the information that was given to him on Monday and Tuesday said one thing. And then by Thursday or Friday, it could say a completely different thing as they continue to evaluate it. I mean, games happen on Sunday, then these people are on it trying to figure out exactly what's going on with these guys. Sometimes they have to wait for swelling to go down. So, you know, they will get an X-ray or an MRI. Maybe it doesn't show something. And then as the week goes on, it could be either better or worse than they initially thought. And that can change the way that Kyle has to report it. So there are a lot of people that think, and again, I could be giving him too much credit. But to me, that's how it comes off to me every time I hear him say something. I don't know if you're hearing something similar or are you like, nah, this dude's a liar. <laughs> no, I think 49er fans have become experts of kind of sifting through comments and reading body language. You know, after the draft process with Mac Jones, I feel like 49er fans turned into detectives more than anything. But I think it's so easy sometimes. Kyle literally will tell you something and he says it with that dead face and he is not lying. And, and I, I take a lot of what he says as fact because it usually turns out to be fact right just because he says something you may not agree with right there but then if you go down the line and look back at it in hindsight it was true and it was always right there but yet you know we start to go through the process of like well he said this part of it and if you take this part out but he said this and it could mean this it's like you're you're just missing what's right there in front of you and sometimes right. the most logical answer is the the most obvious one right so is it obvious that Brock Purdy will be starting week one, in your opinion. I know you don't, you're, you're, you're kind of like me. It's not, we're not like hot take artists or anything like that. But if you had to bet, he'll be starting week one or he starts on the pup list. Which way are you leaning? Um, I think right now, I think they're still going to take their time with him. But if he is healthy, then he's the guy. And, and you know, the, the way that I rationalize. Hold on, Papati. I'm not going to let you give me that answer. Like, no, that, right. that, that, will he be starting week one or will he start on the pup list? He's going to start on the pub list. I don't think okay. he's going to start week one. Um, but what I was going to say was, is I think when you look at his sample size, which is still small at this point, he's earned every single right to be that guy, to be the quarterback one to start. You know, And I think that's the part where we kind of have a tough time discussing sample sizes and which sample size matters more than the other, right? Because you have Trey Lance's small sample size. You have a small sample size from Brock Purdy. But what you saw in those games would give you every indication that he deserves to be the guy who gets the first crack at this thing. So it's just a little weird. Um, my biggest issue, I think, crack right now in this offseason when it comes to 
the discussion around the quarterbacks is one guy's sample size is he's he's ready to go and that's it. This is the franchise. One guy's sample size is, well, he can't play at all, and that's it. Like, he shouldn't be, you know, let's just trade him. And another guy's sample size is so big that it has so much bad football in it, even though it has a little bit of a glimpse at the end, that people are like, well, let's see what he can do. And I just think those logics are just completely all the way off. It still should be all about evaluating at this point and gathering information rather than going off five and eight game sample sizes, or even in Sam Darnold's case, six games out of 55 that he started that now have people like, oh, well, maybe he could be. You know what I want to ask you, Croc? Remember when we went to the Senior Bowl two years ago? And we were in that barbecue restaurant. And I think the gentleman behind us heard us talk the 40 quarterbacks. And I forget, who was it? I think it was Faraz's Sam Darnold. And he turns around and he says, well, Sam Darnold's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And Croc, I'll never forget this. Your face went like dead serious. And you were like, no, absolutely not. Don't even say that. Like that, that's not true at all. Right. So I'm I'm only pointing this out because there was an idea back, I think like maybe like a year ago, where, well, maybe the 49ers should take a look at Sam Darnold. Maybe there are some things that they can fix on it. And so many 49er fans were like, no, 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 no. I don't want him. He sees ghosts. No, 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 no. But then there's still this section of fan of the fan base that right now, well. I'd love to see what Sam could do with these weapons and Kyle Shanahan. But when did that switch? Was it six Uh, games from last year? Like, that's it? No, I don't think it's that. I I think what it is is when, let's say they they said that, right? Like, hey, Sam Darnold is is better than Jimmy. Sam Darnold has not played better football than Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, that's facts, right? Now, if you were to say, if you were turning around and looking at me and say, Sam Darnold is more talented than Jimmy Garoppolo, I would say That's I 100% agree. But at that time, and even now, he has not played better football than the 49ers. And the same as Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. Trey Lance is more talented than Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy has played better football than Trey Lance. Right? Like, so, like, and to me, you can't dispute that. Like, you can't dispute that. So uh, with with Sam Donald right now, and I think what people are, you know, kind of looking into is he is more talented. And I think he has, uh, you know, a lot of skill that we would hope that we get out of either Trey Lance and Brock Purdy, like kind of balled up into one person, but he just hasn't played well. So I think the optimism comes from, hey, man, what happens if it was more situational you know again because we could throw some of these guys in other situations and what would that look like right like what would Trey look like if he went to a team and they were just like no matter what we're just going to start you and we're riding with that no matter what right like what would he look like two years later uh what if uh Brock Purdy went to the New York Jets and he didn't have Kyle Shanahan and and George Kittle and uh uh Debo Samuel Brandon Ayuk Juwan Jennings Ray Ray McLeod like if he didn't have all these guys that helped, what would it look like? Maybe it looks the same. Maybe it looks great. Maybe it looks bad. And I think that's the part where it's really tough because when it comes to the quarterback position, it's so, like, there's so many different determining factors that kind of play into someone being more or less successful, even at a certain height, right? I am very interested in as much as I said, Jimmy Garoppolo has played better football than Tim Darnold. I mean, again, can't be disputed. What will it look like when he goes to the Raiders and plays for McDaniel and, you know, is not Kyle? And, okay, we got 
you know, Adams and, okay, hopefully, you know, Renfro and stuff like that, does it still result in wins when you don't have the number one defense continuously taking the ball away? So those are things that I, I would like to see. Yeah, that's the thing is situation is one part of the equation, right? And and I think we can agree, you know, having Adam Gase for stretches with Sam Darnold, having the lack of weapons at time. And, of course, Sam didn't necessarily play good football either. All of that is part of the equation, right? One thing can't necessarily overshadow the other. And, you know, like like I kind of put out on Twitter, like, when people are trying to show you who they are, let them. And I think that there's more of Sam Darnold not playing well for me to right. – I can be optimistic on the tools. I'm just not certain that we should be dismissing the other games that he had where he was mediocre to poor in many of them um, in spite of, you know, like just saying, well, Kyle Shanahan and his weapons. It's just I hear a lot of people being more excited about seeing Sam Darnold in this offense than Trey Lance at times. And I yeah. think that's a little bit troubling for me. Like where they like nobody's saying I can't wait to see Trey with McCaffrey and Kittle and all these guys, but you you can't wait to see Sam right. Darnold. That that's my part right. that's a little you know baffling. Right, and I and I think that's I don't I I think there are people that uh, shoes even Brian Baldinger and I saw someone in the chat bring it up uh, a little while ago where he was like, hey man, I think Sam Darnold could be QB one, and it's like, well, everything that he showed you has pretty much been bad. Right, and <laughs> at least with Trey, there's still this level of like unknown. To where maybe if he has everybody, again, because, you know, week one, I saw somebody say, well, 49ers lost week one last week. And it's like, yeah, you know, but how much better would it have been if, hell, even if not there, there was no George Kittle, there was no Christian McCaffrey, what would it look like if maybe Elijah Mitchell just played the whole game and didn't get mm -hmm. hurt in the first half when they were up 10-0? You know, would it have looked different then? So, I mean, there's that aspect of it, uh, of it as well. And they don't kind of give Trey the same benefit of doubt. Uh, you know, as it pertains to like the weaponry and where the team is. So, you know, hell, if the team doesn't bust multiple coverages, they still win that game. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so that's something interesting to look at. Uh, I did want to ask you this. All right. So we want to kind of spin it to Trey Lance. And again, I think we both agree if Brock Purdy was healthy, he 100% start week one. Right now, I still lean towards him start week one. You think he starts on the pup list. But because he kind of threw it out there that there's a chance that he maybe misses the season. Hypothetically speaking, guys, hypothetically speaking, if he does miss the full season and Trey Lance does play well, right? He plays well, you go to the playoffs, you win a playoff game, whatever, right? Like, plays well. What then next offseason? And I'm not like a, you know, I don't like to create these wild narratives or, uh, you know, hypothetical situations, but this is something that potentially, like, really can happen. You invested a lot in him. I'm pretty sure the coach is like, hey, we would love for Trey Lance to be the guy. Like, we would love for him to be that, but, hey, we like what Brock has given us already. All right, but now, if Brock is out for a full year, which, again, we don't think can happen, but if it is, if it does, and Trey plays well, what the hell then? Because it's already kind of been a circus around the quarterback uh, situation. And then next year, is it another uh, camp battle? Or, you know, do you eventually pick up Trey Lance's fifth-year option? Like, how much chaos will that bring to this team? It's always going to be chaos, Croc, until we have the locked-in franchise guy, right? right? It's, it's until there is the guy that you can set your watch to every April 18th, like how the Chiefs have, like how the Cowboys have, like how the Philadelphia Eagles now have, right? Like, it's just, this is our guy. We don't have to worry about that. These questions are always going to persist. So when it comes to this, if the hypothetical thing comes to pass, which I hope it doesn't, that Brock Purdy doesn't play, and Trey Lance plays well, I want to make sure that I say this before someone else does. Don't tell me that people can't lose their job because of injuries, because Trey Lance seems to have certainly lost his job because of injury. 
and it's happened multiple times at the quarterback position over and over. So if Trey Lance is showing that that ability that they banked on, that they moved heaven and earth for to move to the third pick, and he's playing well going into the season, and the optimism around Trey Lance is we're only seeing the little bit of it, and we still have more to grow, then it's at worst going to be a camp battle. If not, just straight up, we're rolling with Trey, and Brock Purdy's going to have to be the backup. So the whole injury thing throws a monkey wrench into this because quarterbacks have lost their job to injury uh, to injuries. It happens. You know, Alex Smith lost it to Cap. You know, Trey lost it to Brock. And Brock, if that happens, he could lose it right back to Trey. And I also think that Kyle Shanahan is going to stick with whatever's working at that point. He won't rock the boat if you're winning games. If you're winning games and you're in the playoffs, I don't think you rock the boat and you make a move because now you're banking on the young man being right back at the level that he was two years before taking the entire year off. And that's not something that's more of an uncertainty than it is just a feeling of optimism around him. So yeah, it's always going to be chaos like this crock until this, this quarterback position gets nailed down, man. Always. It's actually good for content, but it is kind of annoying with oh, the yeah. conversations uh, that we oh, end up yeah. having. It. But I'm going to now go to uh, something else you said, right? And in your scenario, Brock Purdy starts off on the pup list, which I, I do think that's a realistic thing that could happen. Again, I put it at 60-40 that he starts week one and he's the guy that's out there. But there's a 40% chance in my mind that Brock Purdy starts on the pup list. And that would give Trey Lance, what, how many weeks? Four to six weeks? How many, how many weeks do you have to sit out? Four at least. For right. yeah, or, or you know, like the, the, the pup can be. I think they have the short time IR. You know, I'm, I'm not certain with how that works. I let's just say let's cap it at four the most. All right, so let's say four games. What mm -hmm. would Trey Lance have to do in those four games to start for the rest of the season and not have to look over his shoulder? Or do you think he'll always have to look over his shoulder, even if he is starting? I think he'd have to be three and one or four and oh. Um, and this was something, again, that I wrote about on Niners Nation as well, too, because you know Mike Clay from ESPN, right, Croc? Yeah. Um, so Mike Clay, he does his season-long projections, and he has Trey Lance starting three games at the start of the season and Brock Purdy taking over for the other 14. So I'll throw this hypothetical at you, Croc. It's a three-game sample size, right? Not four. Here's Trey Lance's stats according to Mike, Mike Clay's projection. He's 60 for 92. That's a 65.2% completion percentage, 690 yards, four touchdowns, two picks, 106 rushing yards, and a touchdown on 24 rushes in three games. Those numbers represent a, a, a jump, right, in Trey Lance, because those are better completion numbers than, than you right. know, last year, even though it was just a game and a quarter. But you and I know, Croc, stats can be inflated. You throw a screen pass and Christian McCaffrey takes it 95 yards. You get credited with a 95-yard pass play, right? Sure, you have to have the timing down. But I think the eye test above all is always going to be what's the what's the real gauge of where Trey Lance is at, not a, any statistical number. And wins. Because there's a world where Trey Lance plays well and the 49ers lose games. There's a world where Trey Lance plays poor and the 49ers win games. So it's, it's always going to come down to how does he look? Is he growing? Is he showing you steps? Not any statistical number. The wins are going to matter. But how are you getting the wins? How do you look? Are you are you getting smoother in the passing game? Are you getting down and, and not taking such big hits when you're running? Do you look smoother running? Do you look like you're taking jumps? And I think, again, if the 49ers are rolling, they're 3-1, and 4-0, whatever in the scenario, and you're seeing all those things, I find it hard that Kyle Shanahan is going to have it back. But he's going to have to show all of those things in those games.
Right, and he doesn't just have those regular season games. He's going to have to, you know, off-season uh, OTAs that kind of start to prove, you know, his worth to his teammates because he's got to win over the teammates as well right now because clearly Brock Purdy kind of has them in, in, in his hand. And then you have to continue to go out there, compete in training camp, do well. Then you got the preseason games. Uh, you got to come out there, look sharp. And then if he rolls into the season, I think there will be a lot of confidence that he can win those games. And if he does indeed go 3-1 and one or 4-0, and oh, it, it, it'll get a little interesting in your scenario, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's it on the quarterback situation. I think that's going to be something that we continue to talk about throughout this entire offseason. Uh, shout out to everybody in the chat right now. Everybody that's watching, go ahead, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. And if you didn't catch the beginning of this, we're going to continue the show right now. But uh, you can also catch the audio version. I'll be uploading it soon after uh, so, yeah, anywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, et cetera, it will be loaded up to there. Uh, let's take our attention to the draft. And the draft is very polarizing, especially for the San Francisco 49ers, because they don't have a pick in the first two rounds and don't pick until the tail end of the third round. So it kind of makes it weird with how I've had to watch film and evaluate players. I have barely watched the top guys. I finally got to Christian Gonzalez last night. And I'm like, OK, I, I see the hype. A uh, very physical, aggressive kid. I think the Stanford receivers kind of ran trash routes. But regardless, it, it was clear that he was way more dominant than anybody else that was on the field. And I'm like, okay, this Christian Gonzalez kid, is, he, he's good. He's legit. Got the goods. Got the goods. All right. But I've been watching more so mid-round guys. And anytime you're watching mid-round guys, it's kind of hard to find guys that just like, this is, is my guy. All right. But so first, I want to ask you, team needs. What do you think the 49ers team needs are, and what do you think they should prioritize in the third round? Uh, edge uh, offensive line and, and cornerback. Um, cornerback specifically. Because they can find the safety, I think, and, and they've done a really good job of, of scouting the position. I mean, you look at Hufanga being late in the draft, and he's an all-pro. Um, I, I think cornerback specifically. Now, when it comes to this process, and I agree with you, Croc, I'm I'm very new at the prospect evaluation part, uh, portion of this, now that I'm doing content and everything. But I do enjoy looking at the third and fourth round people because it's forcing me to dig deeper and it's forcing me to really take my evaluation to the next level because with round one guys, yes, there's a 50% chance they'll bust or they won't play, but you can see, right? Like who are, like, As a that's prospect, a they're much cleaner. Like you could just right, see, that's a guy. Like, okay, I yeah. see how this guy's game translates to the next level. Now, the system that they go in, his worth ethic, that some of the things that we won't know, you know, how he is off of the field, how does he treat the janitor, does he treat everybody with respect? Like, those are things we don't know. So, you know, he can get to the NFL and be an a-hole and not play well, and then, okay, you could be a bust. But mm. let's say everything checks out and you watch the film, it's easy to say, oh, this is a first-round talent. Third-round guys, fourth-round guys, we'll just say, you know, late day two to day three guys, it's a lot harder to find very well-rounded guys that give you everything. And, and if they had everything, then they would go uh, very high. So, uh, you know, for me, the way I see it is, what's the, I get, I, I don't even like to use the word safe, but as we're talking mm -hmm. about high, like third round, it's like, man, is there a receiver there? And, and the reason why I go to receiver, clearly that's not mm -hmm. the need. You just pointed out the needs for the 49ers. Uh, you said offensive line, cornerback, edge rusher. I think we could throw a tight end in there. Uh, mm -hmm. As my guy Idris says, but a lot of these positions, O line. Where the best O linemen drafted? First round. Hard to find like good O linemen outside of that, unless we're talking about interior guys like a guard or center. All right, edge rusher. Uh, you know, defensive end. 
Hard, look, just look who are the top defensive end guys. They go in the top 10. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can get lucky with a late first round guy like uh, TJ Watt. And then every once in a while, you might find a Mason Crosby who is drafted in the fourth round. But that is extremely, extremely rare for Ezra. Kicker or Max Crosby? Max Crosby. <laughs> I was going to say, we're taking kicker. We're taking, yeah, we're taking kickers in the third. Uh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> I'm Crosby. Max Crosby. You know what I meant, though. So, Yo, of course. Uh, I'm, I'm a little more weary on prioritizing offensive line, edge, or I should be more specific, offensive tackles and edge rushers in the third round because they are typically just not as talented. Whereas mm-hmm. tight end, I think that's a good spot. Uh, but I think there's going to be probably a run on tight ends in the second round. And then receivers. I mean, uh, we see it every year. Guys going to set, uh, really just day two in general, second round, third round, who end up being stars in the NFL. I think there are more day two receivers that are stars than any other position in all of football. So although it's not a big need for the 49ers as it pertains to value, and I'm really big on value, I think that's where, you know, it's like, all right, let, let's kind of try to strike gold here. Real quick, I want to – um, uh, we got my guy uh, Kelly Young in here. And he says, Aaron Banks and Burford weren't first-rounders. You're right. They weren't. And that's why Burford was rotating with Daniel Brusco most of the season at right guard. And Aaron Banks didn't even play, couldn't even sniff the field as a rookie, had to really reshape his body, really work uh, to eventually get on the field and be more of what they were looking for. And then he did a terrific job. So if you're, you know, saying again, and he's an interior guy. So again, you can find interior guys. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I said tackles are really hard to find. Good, like the legit starting tackles are hard to find outside the first round. Maybe you can find a second round. Interior offensive lineman, oh, you can find those guys throughout the mm-hmm. throughout the draft. Even if it's a guy that has a tackle, you move him to guard like they did with Spencer Burford. But again, even then, I think you see kind of what they've had to go through to potentially get on the field as opposed to somebody that, oh, day one, I'm just, I'm out here. Which those, those guys do, I mean, you can have those guys, but even then it's still really tough for those positions. My thing is this, Croc, like when you get to this third round area, the best player available has to trump drafting for need there because that's when you find yourself in a position where you're reaching for a guy because you have a need and that's the thing is a trade-up scenario only happens if there is a tackle or an edge rusher who's falling in the board for the 49ers other than that they can stay pat at 99 look you know look for a tight end or my draft crush uh hopefully and they may have to move up because he's he's getting too much buzz right now um Eli Ricks uh, who's somebody that I would love the 49ers to draft from Alabama. He transferred from LSU. Um, I think he's a true junior. Um, he didn't really start Guys, right away. That, real, real quick, I did want to ask you, who is your draft yeah. crush? So it, it is, uh, it is it's Eli, Eli Ricks. Ricks and it, it's Eli Ricks and, and it's Will Mallory from uh, Miami because I think everybody else is kind of focused on Sam Laporta. He's going to be – he's for the streets. They, he, the, the, the Niners have no shot at getting him. Um, Zach so. Koontz, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I don't think look, he gets past Green Bay um, in, the, in the second round. I don't think he gets past them. Laporta, to me, I think the team thing that, and again, very well could go second round. I think he has to get stronger. So, and he's not like, and what my guy Brian Peacock says, body beautiful, right? Like he's not the 6'4", 6'5", 255 pound tight end. He's like, you know, slightly, I don't want to say undersized, but he's like 245, uh, you know, 6'3", you know, um, you know, needs to be stronger. Uh, but he has a really good game. And I actually, there's a, a locked on, 49 or not locked on 49 locked on network draft. I don't want to spoil who I picked for the 49ers. I picked 99, but I am going to spoil it. It's Laporta. So, um, 
No, he was there. Oh, so he, if he makes it to 99, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is it's okay. So Love Laporta, he, his combine was out of control. He, he tested very well in terms of interviews. All the buzz around him was great. You look at the next guy, Zach Koontz, and he's the six seven guy who's super fast and everything. But I have an issue, and, and you can talk me through this a little bit. I see him at the combine, and he has the second fastest speed. I watch him play Croc, and he doesn't play as fast at times, right? He looks a little bit slower getting in and out of breaks. And and for somebody who's 6'7", he shouldn't be that fast to begin with. But play speed and, and, and the combine speed is two different things for me. So that's kind of what I was noticing. Like him in and out of breaks, he's not as smooth. He's a bigger guy. He can get up the seam. And obviously when he finally gets going, he can be fast. But he doesn't have acceleration. Like his, that burst isn't there right away when I watch him run routes. What do you think about him? I think you're right with, with your assessment. And it's even wilder when you look at some of his combine testing where he had an amazing short shuttle and three cone where he's like, dang, how do you do so well? Especially at six foot seven. Like, I mean, this is a really big guy, six, seven, 255 pounds, running up four fives. Um, the film doesn't match that. And I don't know if it's because of the system or scheme, like their offensive scheme where he kind of would start outside, motion down, run a bunch of drag routes. Maybe there weren't a lot of things that truly challenged uh, his change of direction. Uh, you know, I, I, we can go back to, uh, Jalen Hurd. I remember Jalen Hurd being really big. He had a great short shuttle. When you watch the film, you could see the short area of change of direction. You could see the feet. Didn't quite see that with uh, uh, the big tight end out of Old Dominion. So I thought he struggled at the top of routes. I thought he struggled to throttle down on his routes. I thought he struggled to work away from guys. Um, it, it was He struggled so much that everything kind of ended up being contested and it was really difficult, I thought, to kind of throw the ball to him in certain areas where with somebody that big, you would think, hey, I just got to throw it in the area and he's going to come down with it. And that wasn't something I saw. So I'm kind of out on Kuntz. He would be more of a guy that I look at as like, man, if he's there in the sixth or seventh round, then I'll take a flyer on him because he does have a lot of ability and potential in him. But I think there there's a lot of work and development that has to be had. So if you are the 49ers and it's like, well, he doesn't have to be our tight end one right now. Uh, he could be our tight end three and we can continue to work with him on certain things. And then, hey, man, uh, you, you, you know, you have George Kittle take him under his arms, under his wing and Kittle works with him for a year or so. And he does offseason stuff with uh, Kittle out in um, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, where he's working with that uh, trainer. Can't think of his name right now. Jay. Dang, can't think of the trainer's name right now, but I know uh, Kittle you. Faith, huh? Tight end you? Nah, nah. Kittle oh. Kittle goes to this guy oh, okay. uh, faithfully, a, a receiver. It's a like a receiver trainer, but he works mm -hmm. with the tight ends. And I mean, like the, he challenges their movement skills. He does a lot of really good stuff with them. So you know, shoot, take him there, and that'll really help. So, but I think that would be like a project. So if you want somebody that has the potential to be like high upside but just is kind of far away from that right now, at least for what I see on film. But, hey, man, guy take him on his wing, then maybe Koontz is a guy that you would take in, like, the sixth round. I'm very glad that I you feel the same way I do. It makes me feel validated because, again, at the Combine, he's, he's just blowing people away. And it's funny how this works because at the Combine, those numbers can turn someone who doesn't have production in college – didn't necessarily put good things on film, and it kind of swings their draft stock up because you people fall in love with the speed and and their their RAS score and and what they can do athletically, and it and it kind of takes people away from what's there on the film. Talking with so many people down there, the best part was learning how other people go about their evaluation and their process. People who are very respected and listening to them, and and it all goes back to what they always say: 
trust your eyes on the film. All of that athletic stuff is cool, but you should be able to see some of those things. And then again, when we're talking about third or fourth round range, you're probably going to have to evaluate these players in this fashion because they they generally aren't have they don't have a ton of production or they have things they need to work on. So that's what makes this process so much more fun for me because I have to dig in and do a little bit more work and, and try to try to look at everything and try to come up with the best evaluation possible. And I think that's the, the fun part about all this. Yeah, this is going to be exciting. So uh, real quick, we want to touch a little bit more on your draft crush a lot, Rick. So what do you like about him that you're seeing on film and how do you think he fits with the San Francisco 49ers? I just see a guy flexible and man in his zone. I don't see a burner. Like, he's not super fast, even though he ran very well at his pro day, which I was like, damn. What did he run on his pro day? Uh, I think it was like four, 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 five, seven or something like that. Like, okay. he, he didn't run that. He didn't he didn't run that. Like, he didn't run at the combine. And, and the knock on him was straight line speed. And I, and I could kind of see that on film. But, Croc, what I noticed, man, and I, I promise you, I'm not trying to suck up to you by picking a cornerback. Like, I'm just telling you, like, I'm watching this guy. And I'm watching him stay in phase, mirror routes everywhere. He fires on the ball fast. Like if if he has an underneath route, he knows what he's reading the route. He's underneath and he fires to it and he can still break up the pass. I think all of these smarts put together with the way that he's flexible, man and in zone. I, I have I have a feeling he's going to be the guy that we look back in this draft and we're like, damn, how did everybody miss on this kid and let him slide this far? Now, remember, he transfers from LSU. He doesn't start in his third year um, at Alabama. He plays the last seven games. But those last seven games are littered with a guy who looks like he understands routes. He understands leverage. He's he's staying in phase. He doesn't panic. He has great ball skills. I, I walked away watching him cover corners. And he went to Bama, too. Like, that's another thing. It's like he's playing against the big boys. He's not, you know, again, I I don't like to say like, oh, he's playing in this division. It's not. But he went to Bama. So that's a name brand. He went to LSU. I just see a guy who was bouncing back from injury, somebody who kind of like fell in the weeds a little bit. And then when people get this idea that he's not fast, they start to lose sight of the yeah. other things that make corners special. And I think I see almost everything else aside from the speed. And speed doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a great corner. So I hope I, I, I was on there. Well, I think when it yeah. comes to Ricks, again, and I watched, uh, I've watched several corners. He is one of the corners that pops the most. Like when you watch him, right? If you just kind of erase everything that's been going on with him, you just watch his film. Like you said, that's what they say at the scout, at the uh, scouting combine tape. and senior. Yeah. Like, what does the tape say? The tape says it's a very confident cornerback. He has good feet. He triggers extremely well. He plays with a ton of confidence. I, I mean, I love that. that. Like that's one of the first things that jumps out to me. He's uh, scrappy. He's aggressive. He makes plays. They call him Pick Six Ricks. And I watched him what have three pick sixes in one game. And in high school, he had multiple pick sixes. His uh, freshman year at LSU, he was a, a, a freshman All American. Uh, playing in the SEC where you're going up against the top competition, went to Bama and it just got weird. Didn't start for whatever reason. Maybe he was hurt. Maybe what you know, whatever's going on there. Seemed like maybe there was something about potentially in the doghouse with Nick Saban. I don't, I don't know. It got weird. But that first game he got on the field against, I want to say it was Mississippi State. Elias Ricks turned up. I mean, he he turned up and he was going crazy. Now, the 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 one thing that gives me pause is the cornerback position. You do have to be athletic. So the, the testing for a lot of positions, maybe you could overlook it, especially like the receiver position. It's like, ah, okay, whatever. But cornerback is one, depending, depending on the scheme that you're going to be in, you do kind of have to test 
will. Uh, or I weigh cornerback testing more than some of the other positions. And when you look at his, I'm going to share my screen with y'all right now. All right. When you look at his RAS, so this uh, relative athletic score thing, and I'm pretty sure you guys have seen this kind of floating around a little bit, but it's it's not great. It's it's pretty yeah. poor. I mean, he it, ran four six. So they have him listed at four six. Peacock said four five five. You said four five seven. I thought it was four five seven, but yeah, yeah. So they, they they have him at four six from his pro day. Uh, his three cone. I mean, this is as bad as it gets. A seven point four four. Like it, I, that's. I don't know if I've. That that's bad. That's just bad. And then when you look at you know vertical jump thirty five inches, which is cool, but it's not great. Then you look at uh, height, weight, height, great weight. I don't worry too much about that, especially since I see like a physical brand with him. He has the long arms, but it's just this side right here where the speed and agility grades are just very low. And that's something that worries me just a little bit. So again, I try not to weigh too much on the testing, but that cornerback position, you, you kind of have to be a little bit more athletic. And, and for that reason, still really like him on film, but I would take him He'd still be more of a fourth, fifth round guy to me. Mm-hmm. And remember, there was a was it Tarverius McFadden? He was a mm-hmm. guy who had eight interceptions as a sophomore, and everybody's so high on him, and he ends up going undrafted. Well, between him and the kid uh, Kevin Tolliver, who I really like, Kevin Tolliver, when he was coming out of LSU, but Tolliver didn't. He's just like, I'm just not gonna run the forty, right? He's like, well, what are you trying to hide? And then. You know, he ended up going undrafted. So we'll see what Ricks goes. He actually, you know, he has like a lot more hype and buzz than a lot of people. But we'll see as far as like the film, whatever was going on in Alabama, the testing, how that all comes full circle and where he ends up going. But I really do like him, though. That's the thing is, is returning from the injury and then that Nick Saban thing that you're talking about. It was weird because there was never any discussion as to why he wasn't playing. And then when he gets on the field, he immediately started to, to perform. So how much of that is him bouncing back from the injury? How much of that is just him trying to get himself back into shape and everything? And again, he doesn't go to the combine. He has he has himself at the, the Alabama Pro Day. I just, again, when I was looking at his smarts and, and his route recognition and being able to, to jump routes and being explosive and fast, and like you say, and confident, right? Half the battle for, for corners is confidence, man. You could have all the athletic gifts, but if you're just like thinking you don't want the ball thrown towards you, that can really undercut your your success and, and the way you perform. So I just really liked – he looked like a guy that should be playing on Sunday. So this is the fun part about the evaluations. I see something. Someone else sees something else. You see something else. And then eventually, after we get a large enough sample size in the NFL, we can all come back and check our notes and say, well, I got this right. I got this wrong. This is And this is where I'm going to you know fix, fix my process and everything as well too. And you did mention wide receivers, and I did want to bring him up because – um, he's somebody who has a ton of production. He's actually familiar with Brock Purdy, um, Xavier Hutchinson. And he he kind of feels like he's going to go in the range of like Amon Ross St. Brown, where everybody was kind of just sleeping on him and, and, and he just was sitting around and he makes it and he has an immediate jump, can play in the slot. He has great catch radius. I think he's he's very fine with his route running. Not fast. I understand that portion of it. But he looks like one of those guys that understands the intricacies of route running and can win at the next le- the next level. So that's one of the guys that when I was going through – see, the way I started scouting this time, Croc, is I was going through people's mock drafts. And I looked through the mock drafts, and then I say, okay, I'm going to watch this player now. 
And there's no better feeling, I think, Croc, than organically getting to an evaluation, right? I'm not swayed by something that somebody said. I didn't read something that somebody else said. I kind of came to this just by watching and writing down and watching as much as I can. So when he was drafted in one of the mocks, I was like, okay, well, let me take a look. I'm not familiar with um, Iowa State, but when I watched it, I just saw a guy that he had rapport with Brock, but he he has so much production. He's one of the most decorated receivers, right? He was like all Big 12, I think, uh, first and second team. But again, he just looks like a guy who understands how to get himself open, which which further weighs out the Trump. It trumps out the, the missing of certain aspects of your game, like speed and all of those things, when you know how to leverage cornerbacks and get yourself open. Awesome, man. Great insight from my guy, Jason Aponte. Jason, uh, before we get out of here, let everyone know where they can find all of your work. Um, at Jason Aponte, 2103 on Twitter, Niners Nation. Um, I, I got an article coming out analyzing another mock draft. So I'm, I'm going to go through a seventh rounder that should come out in a, a few hours. You know, I write almost every single day on there. And uh, my YouTube channel, Jason Aponte, you know, Sprint Right Option, State of the Franchise with, uh, with Brad and all those other shows that I do on there. Shout out to everybody in here that uh, is showing love. And Croc, thank you for having me, man. You know uh, I got you. I'm in the crib not doing that in any way. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to send Jason backstage. I appreciate you, Jason, coming on and especially on short notice, man. But love you. Appreciate you. And I'll have you back on soon. Let's go, Lakers. Yeah. All right. All right. We got to give him the air horns for that one right there. All right. Shout out to my guy, Jason, especially for showing love to my uh, Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, shout out to everybody that's in the chat right now. Again, if you want, if you want to, you can listen to the audio version of that we'll have cut up segments of this as well everything that we talked about today but um again i want to thank everybody man awesome show jason came on i mean right away i probably i was in the bathtub after my workout texting him and he's like heck yeah come on man come on i got an hour so i'm like all right man we'll be out uh, before an hour i will be live tomorrow i fly out to atlanta for something then i gotta be in kentucky but we are gonna go live tomorrow get another show in again i appreciate everybody that tuned in and uh, I'll see y'all next time. See then. I'm out. Peace. Hit the like button and the subscribe button. I forgot to say that. Like and subscribe. Yeah.